friends, I'm Wayne Shepherd. Welcome back to Encounter God's Truth, where we teach that God's Word is true from the beginning to the end. Timeless truths for changing times. And in these perilous times, we surely need to be encouraged with all that can be accomplished through prayer. After all, if we don't pray, the Lord may not answer. And in the future, at His judgment seat, perhaps our Lord may even show us all that we might have accomplished if we had simply prayed more. That's a scary thought, but Dr. John Woodcomb encourages us to learn that lesson now while there is still time to serve the Lord. In today's teaching, the conclusion of a sermon called Under Attack, But Don't Fall Back. We're in volume four of a series on Acts, Witness of the Early Church, which was recorded live at the Middletown Bible Church in Middletown, Connecticut during its Independent Fundamental Bible Conference. We're thankful for the cooperation from our friends in Middletown for allowing us to bring this series to you by way of radio. Remember, you can visit WhitcombMinistries.org to download the free commentary on the Book of Acts written by Dr. Whitcomb and Pastor George Zeller of Middletown Bible Church. Right now, let's go to Middletown and listen as Dr. Whitcomb concludes his message, Under Attack, But Don't Fall Back, from Acts chapter 12. God uses human intercessors to accomplish his greatest work in what? Salvation, sanctification, the planning of local churches, the outreach to the ends of the earth in terms of missions. I mean, think of what prayer under God's plan, program, and provision accomplishes on this earth. Now, to me, chapter 12 at the dawn of church history is is one of God, the Holy Spirit's ways of saying, now, dear reader, Watch how I work when people pray in the name of Jesus. Are you ready? Verse 6. And when Herod would have brought him forth, that is, Peter, to bring him publicly to be executed, as he had killed James, the same night, are you impressed with God's timing? In the fullness of time, at the last moment, at the appropriate moment, help came. Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and the keepers before the door kept the prison. Now you say, now wait a minute, I don't understand this. How could Peter be sleeping if he knew the next morning he was going to be executed? Well, perhaps he believed what Jesus said to him back there in John 21. You needn't turn, but he uh, was told by Jesus, when you were young, you girded yourself and walked wherever you wanted to. But when you are old, watch that one, when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands and another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldst not. And thus he spake, signifying by what death he, Peter, would die to glorify God. What's that mean? It means, Peter, uh, don't worry about John. I'm going to take care of him. But as for you, you are going to live a long, long life. And when you're an old, old man, you will die by crucifixion. Peter believed that. So here he is in prison and he's not an old, old man. He's not going to be crucified. So he says, well, this I'm going to get out of here. Might as well go to sleep. This is fine. No problem. Think about that. Well, behold. The, or an, angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison, and he smote Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly! And his chains fell off from his hands. This angel, of course, transformed this dungeon into God's house, as it were. 
And the angel said unto him, Gird thyself and bind on thy sandals. And so he did. And he, he saith to him, Cast thy garments about thee and follow me. And he went out and followed him and wist not that it was true, which was done by the angel. Uh, he thought he saw a vision. I mean, you can understand the man was in a state of total mental shock and he thought he was dreaming. And... Uh, when they were past the first and second ward, they came to the iron gate that leadeth into the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out and passed on through one street, and forthwith the angel departed from him. And when Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety. The Lord hath sent his angel and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews." The Jews that hate Jesus of Nazareth, that hate those who love him and hate the apostles who represent him officially, their expectation will be dashed. I'm out of here. I have survived by the deliverance of the Lord. Now, isn't that remarkable, friends? Here, here are people praying. And so all of a sudden, an angel is activated and uh, Peter's chains fall off. While the prisoners apparently are still sleeping or have been given some kind of a sleeping tablet or something by the angel. And uh, all of a sudden the doors open up and he walks through the streets and is guided by the angel and the angel disappears. Now that is an answer to prayer. Think of it. And when he had considered the thing, verse 12, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark. Now this is John Mark's mother. Now remember Peter had a close relationship to Mark and later actually call him his son. And apparently it was through Peter's guidance that Mark wrote the gospel, the second gospel of the New Testament. Okay, And Mary was uh, an aunt of uh, Barnabas. So Mark was his cousin, as we learn later. This wealthy lady may have had a, an upper room. Who knows where that, that might have been the room described and used in Acts chapter 2 at the day of Pentecost, we're not sure, where many were gathered together praying. Many were gathered. And remember the statement back there in, in verse 5. Many people now are doing what? Praying without ceasing unto God for him. So when he arrived, they're still having their prayer meeting. And he knocked on the door of the gate a damsel came to hearken named Rhoda, and when she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness and ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate. And they said unto her, Thou art mad. As someone put it, Quiet, Rhoda, can't you see we're praying? <laughs> this can't be Peter. We're praying for him. And I'm sure someday, even more shocking, will be Jesus confronting us about how many times we prayed in his name and really didn't believe a word we were praying. We just didn't believe God would answer that prayer, that he could answer it, that he had the resources available to answer it. And, and it's almost as I read this chapter that God has a sense of humor, looking at the saints in their incredible weakness of faith. So here's Peter still knocking. And she constantly affirmed it was even so. And they said, it's his angel. Now, of course, Jesus uh, talks about the fact that certain angels are assigned to certain people. Did you know that? 
Uh, listen to uh, what he said in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18. You may turn if you care to. This is very precious to me. Chapter 18, verse 1 of Matthew. At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Somewhat arrogant question, I'm sure they're thinking, uh, maybe I'm the greatest. Or what can I do to become the greatest? And Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them and said, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Hmm. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoso shall receive one such little child in my name receiveth me. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, then a horrible thing is uttered concerning that person. But jump down to verse 10. Take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones, these children. For I say unto you, that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. Verse 14, Even so, it is not the will of your Father which is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Now, that's not the only basis upon which we believe that when a, a tiny child dies, you know, before the age of accountability, that uh, God has a special way to take that child to heaven above. A thousand years earlier, what was David's prayer when God killed his baby? I will go to him. He can't come to me. I'll go to him. And he must have meant, and the Bible doesn't correct his statements here, that when he died, he'd go to heaven to be with his baby. See? Now, Hebrews 1.14 says, Are not these ministering spirits sent forth to minister unto those who should be heirs of salvation? Now, angels have a special relationship to children, Jesus said, and a special relationship to believers, Hebrews 1.14, and they're constantly ministering unto us. Wouldn't you love to meet someday your guardian or ministering angel and thank him for all he's done and hear him tell you all he endured to watch over you and protect you from the evil one? That's an amazing thing. Those are little glimpses in the Bible about an unseen world around us. And I'm sure that angels desire to look into these things, namely how Jesus manages to save sinful people and how he, he watches over them and, and protects them from Satan and millions of demons night and day. And I say, well, Lord, uh, help me to understand that, that I am desperately needful of help from heaven above, not only from you, dear Father, and from your beloved Son and the Holy Spirit, but millions of angels. I need help. See, I need help. And God says, dear child, listen to me. The whole machinery of the universe operates on this basis, the believing prayers of my people. Now, that's hard to imagine. That's a challenge to our thinking, isn't it? You say, well, isn't God sovereign? Yes, but God is sovereign in that he has sovereignly appointed a means to accomplish his sovereign purposes. And one of those means is the prayers of his saints on the earth. So here's Peter knocking on the door out here. They said, uh, you're mad, or it is his angel. 
It can't be Peter. It can't be Peter. So apparently in those days, we assume from this verse, that Christians understood that each believer had a personal angel that watched over him and protected him. And on this occasion, the angel appeared instead of Peter. But Peter continued knocking. Don't you love this? Let me in. No, we won't. (laughs) You're not Peter. And when they had opened the door, they saw him and they were astonished. You can't be Peter. We've been praying for you. But he, beckoning unto them with his hand to hold their peace, declared unto them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, Go show these things unto James and to the brethren. Now you know which James this is. It can't be the James, the brother of uh, John, because at the beginning of the chapter he's just been executed. So what James is this one? The half-brother of Jesus, who is now the pastor of the church of Jerusalem. Peter says, you show these things to James, your pastor, and to the brethren who aren't here at this particular prayer meeting. You tell them the amazing thing God has done to vindicate the believing, faithful, fervent, effectual prayers of his people in Jerusalem. God wasn't finished with Peter yet. And you know, he has a timetable for each of us, doesn't he? Don't you ask a question like I do when I read this chapter? Well, Lord, couldn't you have spared James? You spared Peter. Why didn't you spare James? Maybe they didn't pray for him. But no, let me offer a suggestion. Because God has a distinctive, exclusive plan for every child of his on this earth. Remember Psalm 90, teach us to number our days that we may, what? Devote our hearts to wisdom. I don't know how many days I have or you have. A child can die, an old, old person. I mean, God has exactly figured out in advance, obviously, how many days each of us have to function in which way, where, when, and how on this earth. And James's days were over. It's not like God saying, oh, I just tried so hard to protect him, but nobody prayed for him, so I had to let him die. No. Providence of God is very, very mysterious, isn't it? Well, of course, uh, every one of the apostles died one way or another, sooner or later. We know that, of of course, to be true. Even John, people thought, you know, that John would never die. They misinterpreted the promise of Jesus. He said, if I will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? But it was not his will that John should survive until Jesus came, and so he died. And I say, Lord... I am very, very humbled by your plan and your program and your purpose for your people on this earth. Peter departed and went to another place. And we never see him again in the book of Acts except briefly in Acts 15 at the great council of Jerusalem because the focus from now on shifts to the apostle Paul. So Peter We don't know what happened in his later years. We know that he was an apostle to the Jews, primarily. And my opinion is that among the places where he ministered the word of God to Jews was a place where hundreds of thousands of Jews were living, Babylon. You knew that the vast majority of Jews that went to Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar 500 years earlier never came back to the Holy Land. Only 50,000 came back. And the rest were there. There's a huge Jewish population in Babylonia. 
And so Peter went there, I believe, because he says at the end of his first epistle, greetings from, from those in Babylon. It's not the church in Rome. That, I think that's Babylon, okay, which would be more or less like Iraq today. And he had a great ministry, we believe, to Jewish people over there and around the world. We know not how, when, where, or what. Someday, perhaps, the Lord will tell us. Now, King Herod is ready to be confronted by the living God. I almost hate to read this final paragraph, don't you? Verse 18. Now, as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers what was become of Peter. Now, they should have remembered, you know, from Acts chapter 5, where the apostles were released by an angel and went out and preached that you cannot permanently secure the confinement of a genuine servant of God if it's God's will for him to keep preaching the word. But of course, Herod, under satanic influence and direction and control, did the most ridiculous thing possible. I mean, Satan is going to be very embarrassed by the end of chapter 12 of Acts. Okay? And when Herod had sought for him and found him not, he examined the keepers and commanded that they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea, that the capital city of the Holy Land at that time, for the Roman governor to live. I suspect, don't you, that he was very embarrassed by what had happened. He had lost all credibility in Israel when he couldn't even keep a man in prison under guard successfully. Here's the setup for his destruction. Verse 20. And Herod was highly displeased with them of Tyre and Sidon. That was the northern, a kingdom just north of Israel, uh, today called Lebanon. Okay, And they were dependent upon Israel for agricultural supplies, trade and commerce and so forth. And they came with one accord to him and having made Blastus, the king's chamberlain, their friend, desired peace because their country was nourished by the king's country. So we have a, a political a maneuver going on here, see, a geopolitical scheme to get something by manipulating a person, I'm sure, that they bribed to get Herod's attention. And upon a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat upon his throne and made an oration unto them. Now, Josephus, the Jewish historian, tells us a remarkable thing about this. By the way, there are hundreds and hundreds of things in Josephus' history, uh, written a few years after the book of Acts, that give important, significant light on who these kings were and these governors and things that were happening in Israel, especially describing the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. And here's what Josephus says about this king, Herod Agrippa I, that he arrayed himself in a robe of silver, that absolutely flashed in the sunshine by reflection and absolutely astounded the people who looked at him in his glory. And he made an oration and the people gave a shout saying, it's the voice of a God and not of a man. Now you understand their motive, don't you? They're trying to gain favor with this king, manipulate him, flatter him in order to get something from him. But you know what he did? For one moment he thought to himself, you're right. I am a God. That was the end of his life. 
Josephus says, in amazing confirmation of Scripture at this point, we have no proof whatever that he'd ever read the book of Acts, by the way. He says that God struck him, and after five agonizing days, he died. Now watch. Immediately the angel of the Lord smote him, because he gave not God the glory, and he was eaten of worms and gave up the ghost. He died, but... The word of the Lord grew and multiplied. Now look what prayer did. Prayer in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the saints of Jerusalem in unity, in focus, got Peter out of prison, chains fell off, doors opened, and the king is stricken and the word of God multiplies. How do you like that for a prayer meeting? Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Now, we have to be careful here. In the book of Acts, during the foundation period of the early church, supernatural, visible sign miracles occurred. Yes, they didn't have the whole Bible. God confirmed in the infancy of the church his blessing upon them by many outward signs like this. Today, however, we can't demand of God supernatural, spectacular answers to prayer like this, but nevertheless, God says he answers prayer. And by the way, providence is not less spectacular than miracles. It's just less discernible by people. But it's just as marvelous because all things do what? Work together for good to them who love the Lord, who are called according to his purpose. And that's providence. And you can't say, well, God didn't answer my prayer because so-and-so didn't get well or something or other didn't happen in a miraculous way. But the point here is, friends, that if it's the will of God at a particular time and circumstance to answer a prayer of his people miraculously, he has infinite power and capability of doing it. So the mighty King Herod is gone, and the word of God is alive and multiplies to this day around the world. Herod is long, long gone, friends, but the word of God is what? It's still here. And I say thank you, Lord, for that precious assurance and encouragement. Help me, as never before, to take seriously believing prayer with God's people, focused in the name of Jesus for your glory. And someday, Lord, we don't deserve it, but we expect it. You'll tell us what happened. As the incense of believing prayers ascend before the altar of the third heaven for the glory of God, in the name of Jesus, let's pray. Now, dear Father, uh, it is awesome to read words like these in the book of Acts. We almost hate to ask for the microscope of your inspection to be focused on each of our hearts as to whether we are like these dear saints in the early church. But we thank you for your open acknowledgement in the record in Acts 12 that even these saints had a, a faith problem. They really couldn't quite believe that you could answer their prayer. Their prayer was vastly more effective than they could imagine possible. And we dare to believe that that's true for us today. 
Someday, perhaps, our Father, you'll show us what our feeble, humble, occasional, brief prayers accomplish when they're prayed in the name of Jesus, your Son. Help us, therefore, to move forward on our knees, as it were, in this tragic phase of church history as the end is near and perilous times have come and men are lovers of themselves, disobedient to parents, hateful, hating one another, and the apostasy is upon us. And help us, therefore, all the more to be motivated to fervent, effectual prayer, being anxious for nothing but in everything with prayer and supplication, making our requests known to God. Thank you, Father, for this church, this assembly, this conference, where prayer is a vital part of what's going on here. And Father, we thank you for what you have done, what you're doing, and what you yet will do. I pray in Jesus' mighty and glorious name and for his sake. Amen. With that closing prayer by Dr. John Whitcomb, we end our program today on Encounter God's Truth. I'm Wayne Shepherd, reminding you that Dr. Whitcomb's classroom is always open at sermonaudio.com slash Whitcomb. For the latest updates from our ministry, check out our page at facebook.com slash Whitcomb Ministries. Whitcomb Ministries presents Encounter God's Truth with gratitude to God and all of our wonderful broadcast partners who bring this program to you each and every week. We have lots of special programming planned for the rest of this fall season, but right now we hope you're enjoying this series, Acts, Witness of the Early Church. May the Lord bless you this week until you join us again on Encounter God's Truth.